This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. What a game last night in L.A. Comebacks. Questionable penalties. And now a series tied. Two games apiece heading back to Edmonton for game number five. Oilers-Kings just a piece of a very, very interesting Stanley Cup playoff puzzle that continued over the weekend. And continues with another four games on this Monday evening. Welcome to Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you. And yes, uh, every series still up for grabs. The Carolina Hurricanes and the Boston Bruins putting their opponents on the brink of defeat. With big wins yesterday. The Rangers, Leafs. Golden Knights and Kraken will all look to do the same tonight. And we've got some playoff hockey to talk about here in the city of Calgary. The Calgary Wranglers, after achieving a first round bye, now know their opponent and when they will be playing. Congratulations to the Abbotsford Canucks. They are into the second round to take on your Calgary Wranglers in round two of the Calder Cup playoffs. Of course, Wranglers bypassed the first round because they finished first in the Pacific. And Wednesday, this Wednesday, April 26th, the first ever Calgary Wranglers playoff game at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. You're going to want to be there. Calgary Wranglers, Abbotsford Canucks. So Wednesday and Friday, games one and two of this best of five series in the second round. So games one and two go in Calgary, games three and a possible game four or five would actually be in Abbotsford, and that is at the uh, discretion of the home team, or the higher seed, I should say. The uh, Wranglers choosing the format and how it goes there. Um, A lot of people are like, hey, why doesn't Calgary get home ice advantage for game five? Well, the thought process being, we're not going to need a game five. If you're the Calgary Wranglers, you're hopeful that uh, either the two games or the three games, if you head to Abbotsford uh, on that Wednesday, will be enough for your group to uh, to get on to round number three. So Wranglers and the Abbotsford Canucks, 7 o'clock Wednesday and Friday. Head to calgarywranglers.com for all your ticket information. Peltier, Wolf, Brett Sutter, all of the uh, the young guns there in Calgary. 
getting set for what should be a great playoff run. Uh, and with the Hitman out, obviously the Flames out, uh, you want to get a chance to taste some playoff hockey. That's the way to do it. And I know we've seen plenty of people on social media already excited they got their tickets uh, and they are ready to go. We'll be chatting more Calgary Wranglers hockey throughout uh, the rest of the week as we get closer to game one on Wednesday. I know Sandra Persina, uh, the voice of the Wranglers, is going to join Haley Salvian on Hockey Central coming up on Wednesday. Uh, we'll try to effort to have a couple members of the team uh, on before then to talk about this uh, playoff series. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to some playoff hockey at the Scotiabank South. They'll get out and support the Wranglers. Taylor's already looking for free tickets. I'm just trying to support our teams here, Logan. You can support them financially. I'm I'm just saying, are we able to go to these games? And nobody responded to me. And now you're I, saying I'm trying to get in I for free. I don't believe that there's anything holding you back. I don't believe you've been banned from the Scotiabank Saddledome. I think Cam has. That's a different story. Not yet, but soon. That's under review. See how far they go in the, the playoffs. No, don't wait. Don't ever wait. Just go. Get them now. Go. Don't you dare wait. Don't sit there and go, oh, if they get into round three, I'll buy. No, don't wait. You can go support them now. Show them all of your love. You know, support them. Say that they're going to go far and do the things and play do that hockey. Do what Taylor won't and buy tickets. I will. I'm just asking media. if anybody else wanted to go. That was different than what you said. I'll go. Wonderful. You sound really excited about that. Well, you're sick and dying, so. That's yeah, true. That's true. There's lots of tickets sold already, by the way. You're a ticket master. Go to the little uh, 3D map. Lots of tickets sold already. You don't even have to sit with me. You can, uh, you'll have to sit somewhere else. Just sit with Cam. Nobody wants that. And Alex. And all the morning show people that will never go. Isn't that fun, Taylor? So much fun. Team building. Team building. <laughs> Wranglers hockey game. Minus the team aspect, it sounds pretty fun. You should go. CalgaryWranglers.com. Uh, first game coming up on Wednesday, 7 o'clock, or look ahead to Friday. Maybe you need plans for a Friday, Taylor. I do need plans for a Friday. See, there you go. Tickets now available. Ticketmaster.ca or CalgaryWranglers.com. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun to have some playoff hockey in the city. But, Taylor, do you know what the biggest story was coming out of the weekend of playoff hockey in the NHL? The Oilers and Kings just not wanting to win in regulation? Oh, that's one of them, that's for sure. Uh, but the other one would be uh, the Olmark? refs The refs hate our teams. I was going to say Olmark wanting to fight Kachuk. But... That was a good one, too. We'll talk about that for sure. Olmark really wanted to fight Kachuk. Hmm. Should have let him. I don't know if you should have let him. Should have happened. Would have been okay. But aside from all of that, everybody's talking about the refs. The refs hate my team if you're the Oilers. Now, if you're a Kings fan, the ref hates your team because of the Kevin Fiala penalty. Marcus Foligno 
of the Minnesota Wild, he definitely thinks the refs hate his team. Right? Sheldon Keefe says the Tampa Bay Lightning and Steven Stamkos are manipulating the referees. And people believe there's a personal grudge between Wes McCauley and Sheldon Keefe. Rod Brindamore, the Carolina Hurricanes, even though his team's winning, is frustrated with the referees, even though his team's benefited pretty well from it. It's coming to a, a big level of frustration for a lot of hockey fans. And uh, as you'll hear here from uh, Marcus Foligno, uh, who was the on the bad side, we'll say, of a couple of calls over the weekend, uh, it's a frustrating point to be at uh, if you're uh, an NHL player right now. Yeah, you know, breakaway chances. Obviously played really good tonight. Um, it's all came down to I mean, we just didn't score. And we played a hell of a game. Yeah, it's a great game by us and just didn't get the result this playoffs and you just got to forget it and go get ready for next game. Okay, what do you make of those penalties? Yeah. yeah, what do you make of that? Yeah, How frustrated. Yeah, it's, it's a joke. It, it doesn't make any sense. I go to hit a guy, he touches the puck. It's not an interference. I go, I get a high stick in the face. It's not a tripping call when you hit a guy clean on. And did they give any further explanation? No, no, I mean, arrogant. How do you avoid the shoulda, coulda, woulda? You guys, you know, putting the game fours of the past last year, it's been a talking point. How do you avoid this being a turning point like it just, was last year? Just character in the room and just, you know, just understand that this is, uh, we're a better hockey player, hockey team when we when we play like that. So that's, that's all we have to play like. We just got to capitalize, get the Ottinger. Again, he played great. Um, you know, that, that's that's it. There's no, no negativity out of this game besides just bearing our chances. So it's on to game five and, and um, you know, we won in their, in their rink before. Some of those chances, I mean, rebounds, it looked like you guys struggled. Is that just a matter of getting more net front presence, do you think? Or were you guys thinking yeah. you were okay in that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah they did a better job boxing out this time. I think that's just, you know, the style of play they have to do. And, um, um, I mean, so we, had some, we had some unreal looks also. I mean, you know, more of that. But, yeah, I think we can get a little bit more uh, of a better net front presence and in a sense of just our all-around offense's own play. And um, But, I mean, you know, I got a breakaway. We got breakaways and two-on-ones galore. And um, we got to cash in. That is Marcus Foligno of the Minnesota Wild. Frustrated, obviously. He didn't sound too happy with that one. No, not exactly. And fair enough. The guy was jobbed twice last night. And look, I'm not here to defend the officiating. I can certainly understand emotions are high. But I just want to be clear. The rest don't hate your team. In all of this, they don't hate the Oilers. They're not after the Leafs. They're, they're not out to get the Jets or the Kings or anybody like that. The refs are just in. Do I think the officiating has been good this offseason? No, I think it's been, or this this playoff season, I think it's been pretty terrible overall. But the, the NHL brings this on themselves. And we have this conversation every year about this massive double standard of what is a playoff call and what is a regular call in the regular season. And the refs have to set these brand new standards. The teams have to follow them. The players don't get used to them in time. And it winds up with this mess that we get over the weekend and what we've gotten for most of the first round. It's that nobody really knows Right now, what's going to be called a penalty? Players are, are probably pushing the envelope a little bit more because it is the playoffs. 
and because they do assume they're going to get a little bit more leeway. But it, it changes. There were bad calls both ways in that Edmonton game. There were bad calls going back to game three. There were guys getting just thrown to the ice last night in that Oilers game. And they just, they were letting them go. But then it's, there's so many questions about, you know, what is a penalty? What isn't? And they need to clarify it. I get why the guy's upset. I'm surprised we haven't heard more of it. I mean, I guess guys like their money and you don't want to throw fines left and right out, you know, and we see coaches play the game and and Keith's playing it a bit with, with Tampa Bay and, you know, playing that sort of game where you you kind of accuse the other coach of, of playing with it or, or going after the refs in certain areas sort of shielding his players from that, but you can't frustration level for everybody is, is 10 out of 10 when it comes to the refs right now. And I, I get it's a thankless job. It's so hard to, you know, to set those standards for refs because again, it changes so much. What is a penalty today was not a penalty three weeks ago. That's just the, the basis of it. And everybody's expecting that. And none of the refs can seem to get a hold of it. Uh, the inconsistency of the calls is frustrating. I I really do wonder if there's, and I look, I don't think the NHL wants to put their players in a spotlight like this, or the refs, excuse me. But at some point, you know, if it hasn't happened already, one of these calls is going to decide a very important game. And I don't think we're far from having that happen. It's one thing, and the overtime penalties are what they are. I mean, you can say that those have caused teams to lose games. But, I mean, I just think we're going to get one of these egregious calls like Felino or uh, I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head. There's been so many that just come at a really inopportune time and isn't a borderline call, isn't a gray area call. I don't I don't know how to fix it. Is it an extra referee? Is it a, a ref in the press box? I don't know. We have this conversation every single year, and I get why guys are frustrated. I get why fans of teams are frustrated right now because period to period, it, it can change. The standard changes right now. You just want to see consistency, right? Like, you can change how often you're making these calls, but you have to be consistent with it. You can't one game decide, or one period, like you're saying, decide to call certain penalties or not, right? You have to be consistent with it game to game, period to period. Otherwise, no one knows what's going on. Well, no one knows what's going on right now. I can tell you that much. Here is uh, Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore uh, speaking about the officiating and, and sort of the way it changes when it comes to this time of the season, how it can be difficult for teams. But take two of the officials off the ice. We don't need four on the ice. What are the linesmen really doing? Offside. We got review for offside, if you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking jobs away. That mm-hmm. was the other thing. I, I mentioned this five years ago when everyone, oh, losing jobs. No, I'm preserving jobs because wear and tear, less wear and tear. Two guys on the ice. You're not in the danger areas. You're getting hit with pucks. On every time there's a penalty, put your hand up. The one guy's going already, checking to see if that was the right call. You go to a TV timeout for 30 seconds. 
if by some chance it's got to go longer, take another, just add it to a, add a minute. But guess what? At that 13 minute marker, we've had three penalties. Now we're not taking a three minute stoppage in play, which sucks the life out of the building. This head whipping thing that goes on when yes. guys hit this, it's impossible to tell live. That's why guys are doing it. Imagine if you got it, you knew it was getting reviewed. Would you think you'd have the head whip? Interesting thought by Rod Brindamore. Take the linesman off the, the play. I don't know. I feel like you're not really gaining that much benefit from taking two linesmen off the ice. I don't know. I don't see it. I mean, the review process is an interesting one, right? Yes. And the head whip that he talks about is, you know, the players immediately you know, whipping their head around, as he says, to look to an official for about a call. Right, if you knew it was going to be reviewed, one way or the other, would you just, hey, I'm going to the box, I'm not going to worry about it because I I know I tripped the guy. I'm not going to sit there and complain about it. Just go to the box and take your two minutes because you know there's a review coming. Right now, that can, by you know any other circumstance, can extend the game, and I don't know if people are open to that. Look how many penalties you have in a game. If you add, I don't know, half of the calls have to be reviewed, how long does that take? Right? We've already seen offside calls or a potential high stick call take 10, 20 minutes. Now, maybe it's a playoff game. Maybe people don't care about the extra time. Maybe this is just something that they implement for playoff games, not regular season games. But it's a frustration, and it's one that you can't help but walk into tonight and wonder, okay, how is it going to affect Tampa Bay and, and Toronto tonight? Right? That's that's the biggest of the games tonight that's had questions about the officiating. And you have the coaches, again, I mentioned Sheldon Keefe, talking about it and, and going about his business in a different way. We've seen that before. I don't know. I'm just, I, I wish it wasn't the topic right now in the NHL playoffs. It's been a yeah, lot of good hockey. Wish... It's been fun. I just, I hate talking about it, but you have to. They've been, it's been extremely inconsistent and frustrating. We wish we were talking about, you know, the rec- probably record amount of game sevens that we've seen so far. And yeah, we're stuck here talking about officiating because it has been that inconsistent and that noticeable, right? I think that the best officiating is when you don't notice it. And if you're constantly talking about it and bringing up all of the faults in it, then it's not good. Exactly. No, it's taking away from the game. Exactly. Right, and we're not talking about, we should be talking about Zach Hyman and the great play that he makes in overtime to win it. But instead, we're stuck, you know, was the Fiala thing a penalty? I don't Maybe. I think there's a case on both sides, but the problem is there's been so many of those calls that you just have no idea anymore what the ref's going to call and what isn't. I have no idea. I don't know what's going to happen. I just don't want it to be a topic anymore. But as long as the refs keep calling the games the way they are, keep calling them as differently as they have been to start the the playoffs, it's going to be an issue. Uh, tonight on the calendar, Rangers and Devils. 
Devils avoid going down 3-0 in the series with a big win this weekend. They kick things off at 5 o'clock. Leafs Lightning, 5.30 across Sportsnet. Uh, of course, Toronto looking to take a stranglehold in that series in Game 4. Jets Golden Knights, 7.30, and the Kraken taking on the Avalanche at 8. We'll bring you a doubleheader of play-by-play tonight. We'll take you to Toronto and Tampa Bay following Flames Talk. And then, uh, excuse me, we'll take you out for the uh, the late one, the Canadian team in action, Golden Knights and Jets. We'll dive into a couple more of these series uh, coming up next with uh, Reed Wilkins, 630 Ched, our pal from Edmonton, talking about a big Oilers win last night and uh, what to look forward to this series as it now shifts to a best of three with Game 5 on Tuesday. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. As he was right around Connor McDavid. Evan Bouchard. Long-range pass. Zach Hyman moving in. Rister shoots. Scores! Zach Hyman! The overtime hero! And the Edmonton Oilers have made it a best of three! As you heard from Han Ryan Singh on the call last night, a huge... Huge goal by Zach Hyman in OT. Secures the win for the Edmonton Oilers. Secures the split in LA. And we're back to Edmonton for game five after a wild game four. Welcome to Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. What a series it's been between the Kings and the Oilers. LA proving last year was no fluke when they took the Oilers to seven. And uh, the Oilers proving they've got a little bit of comeback overtime magic in that themselves. So uh, curious to see what these next three games bring us. But uh, to help us chat uh, all things Edmonton Oilers and LA Kings right now, uh, very happy to go down the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome in our pal from 630, Ched, the host of Inside Sports and Oilers Hockey. It is Reed Wilkins joining us this afternoon. Reed, thanks for doing this. How are you? Well, first of all, I'm a little miffed. Because I was told if I called this number, I'd get to hear a 25-second recorded message from Pat Steinberg. So I was on hold for an hour. I'm pretty sure my credit card's already been charged. So I'm, I'm hoping this could be straightened out, or I get Pat to send me that recorded message, because I'd really appreciate yeah. that. Second of all, I'm glad I'm on a little earlier in the day, because it gives Atlas Pizza more time to get that pizza up here for my show at 6 o'clock. A lot of times I'm on like at four or five, and mm-hmm. there's no way the pizza is making any time. So I guess I'm one up, one down for the personal stuff. So I suppose I got to take being even. Yeah, that uh, that personal message from Pat actually comes after hours. It's a certain time uh, later in the evening that you can get that from Pat. But we'll, you're a friend oh, of the show. I'm sure we can. That's enticing. Yeah, we can we can make that work. And yeah, Atlas is is already. I saw them kneading the dough and everything, getting ready for that uh, yeah. that meat <laughs> lovers work. pizza yeah. that you love. Yeah. But most radio stations, the studio has a window, like, uh, you know, there's a window to the control room, yeah. so you can see the operator. Not at Sportsnet 960, no. the window is actually to the Atlas Pizza Kitchen, so they can see who they're making pizza and pasta for. It's That's an incredible part. relationship, Reed, and one that works out uh, very well for everyone here. Yeah, uh, that's that's marvelous. Yeah. You guys are, what a setup. Yeah, 
it's just something all right. Uh, Reed, how are we feeling in Edmonton right now after a, a big win last night? It was, uh, feels like a, a, look, Captain Obvious, big goal in overtime to tie the series at two, but feels like if that one went to L.A. last night, we're talking about a very different series right now. Well, it's never over till you get the four, the fourth one, but a three-one lead for the can. And I, I know there are more. I mean, what I guess ever since 1987, when there were finally a couple three-one comebacks, there's usually at least probably one a year on average. I'd have to go back and check, but still, you don't want to be in that position. And you know, if if that game would have ended like a you know a tidy four-one or even three-nothing victory for the Kings. I think you would have had a lot of doubt and frustration for the Oilers, even though I don't really think there's a lot of game-to-game momentum, but it would have been four games in a row where Corpus Allo was pretty much close to a, a brick wall. But I, I think this, I, I think this proves something about the Oilers. And I, I know there's, you know, it's still a best of three. You got to win two out of three. But I, I, to me, last night's game proves that they are a mature, poised, experienced playoff team. You know, they, they didn't crumble. They dominated the second period. And then they had to come from behind again in the third. Because, quite frankly, they played quite poorly for about the first 15 minutes of the third period as well. So, you know, they took a punch. And any team that, that wins usually has uh, a, a game or two along the way that looked hopeless that they pulled out. And they're usually able to recover from losses that at the time felt devastating and and I think the Oilers did both things last night they took a massive haymaker from the Kings in the first period and and didn't crumble and then delivered blows back themselves and they proved that losing game three in controversial and quite frankly I think incorrect fashion wasn't going to derail the entire series for them so I mean they proved they got a they got the they got the medal they got the poise they got a tough chin was it also big for them, Reed, to, to get one of these OT decisions to go their way, too, after how it had gone for L.A. in overtime a couple of games? Well, forget about how it's gone for L.A. You didn't think about how it's gone for the Oilers since 2017. Yeah. With that win last night, they're now 3-10 and 10 in overtime in the mcdavid Drysdale era. Now, I know the only other guys who were on the team back to 2017 were Nugent Hopkins and Nurse, but, I mean, that's the core of the team. And it's pretty shocking how poorly the Oilers have done in overtime. And you're right. It had been three straight overtime losses to the Kings um, going back to game five last year. Uh, Last season, the Oilers played three overtime games. They actually won one, uh, the one in Calgary, but they lost one to Colorado as well. The Jets two years ago. I mean, this is, this is the crazy thing. This is the second time in three playoff seasons. The Oilers have had three of their first four playoff games go to overtime and they've only won one of them. They lost three overtime games to the Jets you know, going and then you, you go back to 2017. They lost two overtime games to Anaheim in that series. They lost in seven. They split a couple overtime games against the Sharks in the first round. It's it's hard to figure out. Uh, I mean, I, I checked. Uh, well, after they lost game one in overtime, I looked at the overtime records since 2017, and there were a couple of teams that were up there nine or ten losses, but they'd played like you know, 16 or 17 games, not a, not 11 like the Oilers had at the time. I, it's hard to explain. I mean, I, I guess a couple of years, the Oilers didn't have great depth. I mean, the, the series against Winnipeg, kind of all the offense was McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins. So they didn't have as many dangerous guys as they've had 
this year. And, you know, you can, I suppose this year you factor into it. LA was able to get on the power play in overtime. Um, but Edmonton had a power play last night before they scored. But you need to win overtime games. I, I, I'm still meaning to do this. Maybe I'll have time to do it today. I want to check the overtime record of every Stanley Cup champion. I mean, I guess I'll go back to 1980 when we've kind of had the four-round format. I know mm-hmm. it was best of five in the first row, but I would be shocked if there's a Stanley Cup champion that was below 500 in overtime. I mean, you just have to you have to find a way to win those games. Like, I, I know the uh, the exaggerated record would be the Canadians who went 10-1 and one in 1993, but, I, you know, I think an Islanders team had six overtime wins that one year. I mean, look, the year Calgary won the Cup, didn't they win Game 7 overtime against the Canucks? Yep. Wasn't that the Joel Otto goal? Yes, sir. I can't remember what they did. The, the rest. I, <laughs> I think in the Stanley Cup final, Montreal won the only over, overtime game, but still... I would guess the Flames had some overtime wins along the way. Like you just, it just seems like you can't win the Stanley Cup without coming out, even if you go four and two in overtime or something like that. Goals that end series, or you know, that have you go up three one instead of being tied in a series. So Edmonton finally did that, not for a lack of chances. I think in game one, I mean they did outplay the Kings in game one in overtime, but again, Corpusalo was solid. But they finally got one through him last night, which hadn't been happening. Is there a goaltender controversy heading into uh, to Game 5 as to who might start, Reed? You know, I've always hesitated to call it a goaltender controversy at any point this season. Because to me, it's a goaltending controversy if one or both of the guys is going to be unhappy with the decision. Or, or if, you know there appears to be a, an obvious sort of incumbent or starter. And, and then he's sort of being usurped. I don't think that's ever been the situation here in Edmonton. And I know people might be thinking, well, Jack Campbell was supposed to be the starter and he lost his job. Yes, but it was never controversial that he lost his job. He was obviously being outplayed by Stuart Skinner. Yeah. You know, it was performance like based, were, right? Yeah. It's not like they were playing even, and the coach went with Skinner because he knew him in the minors or, you know, anything like that. So I think everything Skinner sort of did this year, um, while encouraging, was a, a little bit of a little bit of playing with house money. I mean, he might win the Calder Trophy. I think he should, given how he finished the year. I'm sure he's going to be in the top three for votes. So I don't think it's a controversy, though. I think it's an interesting topic of debate. I don't think, um, you know, the, the I, I'm going to speculate, I guess, I guess we'll see tomorrow. I, I don't think that most of the fan base would be irate either way. I mean, I think even the people who might be leaning Campbell would understand if it's Skinner and vice versa. So I, I hesitate to call it a controversy. I think it's a debate. I actually don't think it's a bad problem to have, that you, you have a goaltender who had a season like Skinner as an option. And then you have Campbell as the other option, who despite having a poor year statistically, if you look at goals against average and save percentage, finished the season with a couple of good performances and was clearly excellent last night. If it's me, I'm playing Jack Campbell. Just because he, I, I think you have to reward how he played and show faith in him. I think Jay Woodcroft has proven that that's the kind of coach he is, mm. you know, since he's been here. And I, I don't think Skinner was playing poorly, um, but the bottom line, you know, some pucks were, were going in and, and they weren't going in on the other guy uh, 
at the other end. So I, I think the way Campbell finished that game, and especially a couple of saves that, you know, the Arvidsson breakaway with five and a half minutes left, I mean, that would have ended the game. You For know, sure. I don't think the, the Oilers are, they're not coming back two goals down in the final five minutes. So t- to me, it's Campbell. If, if he has a poor game, well, he has a poor game. And you go back with Skinner, I guess, in game six. But I think you got to ride the hot guy. And again, there is that element this is what you paid him for, right? You ultimately yeah. paid him to play, play in the playoffs, and, and now he's hopefully going to get a chance to do that. I was going to ask you if Evan Bouchard had taken over as this team's top defenseman, but I, I think I would rather phrase it as maybe taking over as their most important defenseman, Reed. Is that a better way to put it? Because to me, he seems like the top option. He seems like the guy that has Jay Woodcroft's trust and the guy that can go out there in almost any situation and be an impact maker for this team, more so than anybody else on the decor right now. Well, he's their best defenseman with the puck on his stick. And he still makes the odd mistake. I mean, there was a pizza up the middle, I think, early in the third period that was pretty scary. Um, his, you know, I, I understand, and I've seen him play a lot. So, you know, I know he kind of has that upright stance and looks almost lackadaisical though I'm sure that's not what's going through his head so he can be a little frustrating at times but he's clearly uh filled in and exceeded what Tyson Berry was doing on the power play and he's been better five on five often paired with the TS home and he makes plays with the puck and you saw it on the overtime goal I, I mean that wasn't just a blind I'm gonna put it up the left wing and nope. hope Hyman gets it that was a calculated touch pass with the exactly the amount of steam he put on it that he wanted to put on it the exact bounce off the boards to to get it to Hyman and sort of through that uh, that LA passive neutral zone four check that they do uh he he played a lot last night I, I mean I still I still pretty strongly believe that the Oilers two best all-round defensemen and and defensive defensemen are Matthias Ekholm and Dardell Nurse who, you know, I still, and I think both of them overall have had pretty good series, but yeah, if you, if you need someone to handle the puck or orchestrate something on the power play or, or make a creative pass, there's no doubt that it's Bouchard. And I think he's been a little liberated by Barry's trade and by playing with that home. Reed Wilkins along with us from six thirty, Chad host, uh, host of inside sports and uh, Oilers hockey. Uh, Reed, is there any, expectation or is there anybody around the Oilers right now that can come in and provide some depth for this team? And I, I ask that because obviously you look at the, uh, the time on ice for a couple of the guys down the depth chart in Broberg, DeHarnay and, and Costin. That's obviously, you know, lower than you'd like to be in any position. I know you're going to ride your top guys, but is there anything that uh, Jay Woodcroft would look to from extra players to come in and maybe give them a couple more minutes a game? Well, I think that's going to be one of the big questions that'll be answered tomorrow. You know, Vinny DeHarnay is a great story. Um, he, he's an awesome guy to deal with. Uh, the fans love him. And he played pretty well in the regular season. He's had some bumps in this series. And, you know, I think that just just goes with the territory. I mean, the, the penalty in, in game one, penalty in game three, the, the little bump after the whistle, which... You can debate whether or not it should have been called, but he still did it. And then obviously Arvidsson spinning around him last night. So he finally got his ice time cut and he got replaced by Broberg, who hadn't been playing very much at all. I think the previous game, he was only at four minutes. 
So I, I would think, you know, Broberg's going to be the number six defenseman tomorrow. And then the question is, did they leave DeHarnay in just to have that extra defenseman? Or do they take DeHarnay out and put in? And to me, the options are, are Devin Shore or Dylan Holloway, who's now with the team after Bakersfield season ended on Friday night. Um, you know, Clem Costin didn't play a lot yesterday either. They basically went with 10 forwards and he's sort of been very up and down with his contributions and with his uh, ice time, as much as he can make an impact on the game when he's firing on all cylinders, I don't think he fully has the, the trust of the coaching staff. So I think though, but to, to me, I mean, they don't have any other defensemen. Um, and I think they would either put in Holloway and just hope that he can help push the pace a little bit. Uh, or just put in Devin Shore because he was kind of a reliable veteran player. That's good. That's to me, that's the big question that needs to be answered. I, I, I really, I mean, usually I might have an educated guess, or, but I just don't know in this situation because I, you know, I know DeHarnay has struggled, but it, does it help to have a seventh defenseman just in case someone else is struggling, hmm. right? And you put DeHarnay into the game. Um, and they're pretty good with 11 forwards because that's, like you said, more ice time for McDavid and Drysdale, and it's not always one of them that double shifts. I mean, or, or sometimes it's just a rotation of guys going through there, or different combinations with those bottom five players. Uh, from a Kings perspective, Reid, we so you guys saw these guys last year, round one. Obviously, that one went to seven. What's uh, struck you about this year's edition of uh, Todd McClellan's LA Kings? Well, I think both teams are better than last year, first of all, and I think. I mean, I'd have Todd McClellan right up there for coach of the year. And I know there are some other coaches who have done outstanding jobs. And what's interesting with McClellan, and, and I, I had Drew Remenda on my show last night. He's back with the Sharks radio. And, of course, he was here doing Edmonton TV for a few years. Mm-hmm. And he knows both Todd and Woody very well. And he thinks this is the best coaching job Todd has ever done in his career. And I think he might be right because they didn't have good goaltending much of the year. They were giving up a lot of goals. They were still up in the top three of the division all year long. And Drew made a good point. No one else in the NHL is doing this in the neutral zone anymore, right? Like to the extent that LA does and commits to it. And with the pace the game is played now, I would think it would be almost difficult to convince players to be like, sorry, we're not going to sprint anymore. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be a little bit passive and we're going to choke it up and be patient and then try to go from there. But, you know, LA didn't have Dowdy last year. He was hurt in the playoffs. Uh, They didn't have Fiala who came back last night, had a, had a pretty good game that we, kind of assessed a, a borderline penalty that turned out to be costly. And they, and they have corpus. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I think you could make the argument that the two best trade deadline acquisitions were at home for the Oilers and corpus for the Kings. And I, and I know there were some other pretty other significant trades that happened. Well, I guess, you know, some teams like the Leafs got things done mm. before the deadline, obviously O'Reilly's a great player, but I, I just think, you know, in terms of, steadying what the teams needed. You know, Ekholm did that defensively for the Oilers and Corpus Allo's done that in net for the Kings. Because, I mean, really, it, it's funny talking about the, this series because the team that has led 
most of the time uh, has has lost <laughs> what three three of the four games. Yeah. yeah. So you know that's kind of weird, and and I think that I mean before last night the five on five stats were pretty prominently in favor for the Oilers. I, I think they were around sixty percent Corsi five on five. I think the actual shots were ninety eight sixty three. So as much as I think the Kings have a great team and admire what McClellan has done and how they've committed to it, I still think without Corpus Salo, there, there could have been a game in the first three that could have got out of hand in Edmonton's favor. And, and Corpus Salo has prevented that from happening. It's hard to say this, but I, I, this is the, the only guy you could ever probably say this for who's got six points in four games. But is there still another level for Connor McDavid to reach when it comes to this series, Reed? Well, I, I think with McDavid, you don't know what level he could reach, right? I mean, it's so he just just keeps he keeps achieving things. I mean, he had three assists last night. Uh, you know, it was a big deal. He got held off the score sheet in the first game. Um, is there another level? I, I guess. I mean, I think he's playing pretty well. He, I, I think he's also up against a team that can defend him well and takes pride in defending him. And, and that's the, the grind of a long series against a rival team is that they, uh, you know, they, they put a lot of effort into trying to shut you down. Um, I, I mean, look, he got two awesome power play goals in game three on great shots and three assists last night. So five points in the last two games. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty good. Is there another level for him to hit? I guess. I mean, he could score on an end-to-end rush or get a hat trick or something like that. <laughs> but he's he's been pretty. I still think he's been pretty good, even if his even if he hasn't done as many maybe eye-popping things as he as he did throughout the regular season. Uh, before we let you go, read uh, down best to a down to a best of three. I should say, starting uh, just uh, in a couple of days here, back in Edmonton for Game Five. What's the key for the Oilers? as they look to close this series out and try to get to round two for a second straight year? Well, stay out of the penalty box. I, I, I mean, there was a lot of discussion about the, the penalties and the officiating through the first three games. And yes, you can always debate calls, but I, I still think just don't do it. You know, don't don't elbow the guy after the whistle like they did. Don't slash Dowdy and say anything after the goal like Dreisaitl did. Mm-hmm. Were they tick, ticky-tack calls? Yeah, sure. probably, but just don't do it, and it yeah. won't get called. And I think they they stayed out of it last night. You know, they played between the whistles, so don't give LA a chance to get into the into the game. And then their power play is very good too, by the way. I mean, don't forget that these are two of the top five power plays from the regular season going head to head. So I think that's that's number one. I mean, keep it five on five for as much as you can, and then I think just keep shooting. And like I think Corpus Salo is a really good goaltender. But I've never seen him as a as a top tier goaltender, and they kept shooting, and now the Oilers can say, okay, you know what, we got five by him in two and a half periods, right? Starting with the second period yesterday, we know we can we know we can beat him. I mean, they finally got a, a kind of one that went through him in overtime, and I know it hit Doughty's stick, but they kind of hadn't been getting that little bounce either that that went their way, so. Stay out of the box. I mean, hopefully Campbell or Skidder gives them saves and, and just keep firing away. Don't get frustrated offensively. And I think that was starting to set in after the first period last night. Because even though they were down 3 nothing, they did have a couple of grade-A chances that they didn't finish. And Corpusello made good saves on. So now maybe they're feeling like, okay, 
Woodcroft said a couple of days ago, we just got to keep chipping away at that rock. Now they've chipped away and they've seen some flakes of the rock come off. So I think just keep firing pucks at the net. Reed, I just saw them uh, take out your pizza out of the oven. It looks delicious. Uh, they're going to put it in the car and uh, I'll make its way oh. up to you just in time for showtime. So uh, appreciate it as always. Enjoy the pie, man, and uh, enjoy the rest of this series, hey? Thanks for having me on, and thank you. I look forward to that pizza. <laughs> Take care, Reed. Reed Wilkins, uh, 630 Ched, host of Inside Sports and Oilers Hockey. Uh, kind enough to give us some time on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest hotline, Oilers and King, set for Team 5 from L.A. tomorrow night. We'll take a break, come back on uh, the program with Hour 2, Leafs and Lightning. Toronto can take a stranglehold in the series tonight with a win in Tampa Bay. What might prevent them from doing that? And uh, how do we feel about the Leafs series so far? Now they're up 2-1 on Tampa Bay, heading into Game 4 tonight. We'll chat with Brent Gunning from Sportsnet 590, the fan, next here on Sportsnet 960, the fan.